This message was recorded live at the Ark Church in Conroe, Texas. Good morning and welcome to the Ark. Isn't it great to be back this morning? You have never looked better. My name is Clayton Small. I'm the student pastor here at the Ark. There was a day I looked better. Let's address the elephant in the room. Uh, Sometimes when you get bored on quarantine, you do some crazy things. So I am recently bald, all right? You know, uh, as adults, we don't often experience boredom. But boredom is, in fact, an old friend of all of ours. If you think back to your childhood, I remember when I was seven years old, I was the littlest kid in the neighborhood. And uh, I, I hung out with all the older kids on the block, and inevitably, we'd get bored, just like your kids at home right now who are going on about five months of summer break. And I remember standing in the garage when we couldn't find anything to do, we would inevitably just go to all the places of our dads to find some item or something that could entertain us for at least the next five minutes. I remember standing in the garage one summer, I think I was about seven years old, and all my friends were in the garage and we're looking at the shelves of what could we do with this and what could we do with this and what could we do with this. And then I found a rope. And in a seven-year-old brain, I thought, what could we do with this? Let's tie something up. Now, you ever have those moments where you realize everyone else in the room starts looking at you? Let's tie something up, all eyes on me. And then I said something really dumb. I said, you'll have to catch me first. Which sounds like a great idea if you're a runner, but not with my legs. And I took off running across the street. I was going as fast as I could. About three steps in, I got those side cramps. You know what I'm talking about? Those like, man. And uh, I I remember this feeling of, I just got to surrender. I just got to give up. There's no hope. They're all bigger than me. And uh, they're really bored. So something bad's about to happen. And they took me and they tied me up. And they left me there. And about two, thank you for your sympathy. (laughs) glad somebody loves me. And for about the next two hours, I sat there and thought about life, wondering if anybody was ever going to come back for me. But you know, there's always that one kid, you know, the one kid who feels really bad for what he just did. And two hours later, he comes strolling by, he unties me. And I I think about that story in my life and I realize that, yes, sometimes when we're bored, crazy things happen. But what I realize all the more is that Sometimes in life, we find ourselves in the middle of a trap we didn't even know was set for us. Sometimes we set the trap ourselves, but sometimes in the midst of something that seems funny or harmless, we find ourselves in a position we were least expecting. This morning, I want to talk to you about traps. I want to talk to you about what it's like to be caught up in the middle of a trap that catches you By surprise, in Psalm 141, verse 9 and 10, it says this. It says, keep me from the traps they have set for me, from the snares of those who do wrong. Let the wicked fall into their own nets, but let me escape. I love what the psalmist says here in Psalm 141. He says, Lord, keep me from the traps that have been set for me. 
He has a, a realization or an awareness of the fact that there are traps, traps that are set out to get him, to hold him back, to pin him down, or put him at a disadvantage. And so this morning, as we talk about traps, I, I was thinking about the different kinds of traps there are. There are really two kinds of traps. The first one is the kind of trap that catches you by surprise. If you've ever seen like a fox trap or a bear trap, you, you know the gnarly ones with the claws that they're spring-loaded and they open them up and they set it up and they cover it up with some leaves and waiting for some innocent animal to come walk by and step on it. And when he does, it grabs him around the ankle. It's the element of surprise. Some of the traps we face in our own lives, if we're honest, come with an element of surprise. At a time we were least expecting for a world that didn't even shut down for one day on Christmas, when we were least expecting, everything changed. Everything looked different. Caught us by surprise. There's another kind of trap, and it's the kind of trap that deceives you. It's, it's like a small animal trap. Have you ever seen those small animal traps to get a raccoon? They have inside of the trap a bait. They put some peanut butter on there, like on a mouse trap. They put some peanut butter on there hoping that they can deceive the mouse to come by, and when they least expect it, yet again, they get caught. There are traps that we face in our lives that are a lot like those. Some of them catch us by surprise, but others kind of lure us in. There's a bait. There's something on the other end of the table. But what I've known about traps, or when I think about traps, here's what I realize. Traps are only set for things that have value. Traps are set for things that have value. So uh, right now, um, over the last couple of years, uh, ivory, the prices of ivory, uh, I read an article last year, it was like up 1,000%. Ivory is, could be sold for $1,500 a pound. What, what's happening is in India and Asia, there, there are some elephants, and there's only 1,000 male elephants left that have a, tu uh, a tusk that they can take the ivory from. And so poachers and trappers go out and either kill the animal or, or trap it and do whatever they can to get the ivory. And the reason why is obviously because it has value. It has worth to them. The other kind of trap that's set comes because things are a nuisance. I remember growing up when I was... Uh, you know, a teenager, I would go spend a couple weeks in the summer with my grandfather. He lived on a farm, and if you have a barn that's open, you, you know the challenges that it can bring, and we would have a, a, a trap that we would set up in the rafters because hundreds of birds would find their way inevitably into his barn and do their business all over his trucks and his tractors and his equipment. And so we would go set these traps because of the nuisance that the birds were creating for him. Traps are set for things that have value, but they're also set for things that are a nuisance. As I read Psalm 141, where the psalmist cries out, Lord, keep me from the traps that are set against me, I come to a realization that traps are set for things that have value. And my life, and your life, has value. When I read in the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, it says that we are created in the image of God. And the very first words that God utters after he made man was, it is good. There is a, a value placed on your life. Psalm 139, we read the same thing. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. Before there was even one day, one breath in your lungs, God knew all the days that he had 
ordained for you. Why? Because your life has value. Jeremiah 29, 11, we've quoted it so many times that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. He has good things in store. Your life has value. Ephesians chapter 1, we read about Jesus paying the high cost of his blood for your life. Why? Because your life has value. And what I know about things that have value is that there are traps that are set for them. Not just things that have value, things that are a nuisance. Turn to somebody next to you and say, you're a nuisance. Hang on. Husbands, I was not telling you to tell your wife that she's a nuisance. You're not a nuisance to your wife. You're not a nuisance to your kids. You're a nuisance to the enemy. And anything that is a nuisance just has a trap set out for it. Here's what you got to know. Every breath that you breathe is a nuisance to the enemy who knows that you have value. Every time you have peace in your life in the middle of a storm or a tragedy or a setback, you're a nuisance to the enemy. Every time in your life when you spread kindness and love to the people around you in a world that insists on hate and outrage and chaos, you're a nuisance. Every time you worship with us online or you walk through the doors of this building and you raise your hands to Jesus the King and worship him, you're a walking, living, breathing, worshiping nuisance. Which means there are traps that are set out for us. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says this. It says, control yourselves. Be on your guard. Because your enemy, the devil, is like a roaring lion. He prowls around looking for someone to chew up and to swallow. Other translations use the word devour. He's literally looking for something to devour. Anyone who discovers who it is that they are and all that God made them to be, there's no stopping them. When you discover all the value that God has placed inside of you, there's no stopping you. And the enemy knows that his only tactic left is to set a trap. So 1 Peter chapter 5 says we have to be on our guard. We have to be on our lookout for the deceptive traps that would come our way. One of the most deceptive traps that I've experienced or seen is the trap of comparison. Even pastors struggle with the trap of comparison. I remember when I first started about 10 years ago, the first time I preached a message, I'd been watching a really famous pastor named T.D. Jakes. And uh, yeah, you're laughing. And I was watching T.D. Jakes, and I remember the first time I got out to preach, and I tried to just be burly voice. You know, he's got this really deep voice. My voice sounded like a teenage girl compared to his. And I, I remember walking off thinking, you can't be someone else and do all God called you to do. That's the trap of comparison. You look at someone or something else and you look at their life and what they have and what they got and what they do and you think, if only my life could be this way, things would be better. That's the deceptive art of comparison. You know, we live in a world that is the most connected society, the most connected world to have ever lived. Right now, our access at our fingertips is is through the roof. 
We all experience this because we just spent 12 weeks plus at home, shut down. And yet, even in a world of isolation, we still have more power to connect than any other generation before. Praise the Lord for the ability to do church online so that even when the enemy sets a trap, you're not stopping us. And I think... I think the challenge can be this. We live in a world that's more connected than ever before, but yet studies show, studies show that emotional distress and the propensity to self-harm as a result of depression and loneliness and isolation and suicidal thoughts have grown at a faster rate in a shorter period of time than ever before. Psychologists are coming out saying the rate at which this is growing is baffling. And we look at it and we wonder where in lies the problem. We're more connected than ever before. But yet when I work with teenagers and kids, oftentimes I get firsthand experience of seeing the manifestation of our culture in a raw form through their lives. When you look at teenagers, you see it firsthand, open, honest, raw. When I realize, when I look at their life is that more than any other generation before, They have more opportunities to connect, but on the same breath, they have more opportunity to be exposed to comparison than ever before. And when you look at the facts, and when you see it firsthand, you have to know that comparison is a trap that the enemy would use to keep you from being all God has called you to be. But just because it's on the rise doesn't mean it's not something God hasn't already solved. Just because we're seeing it more and more doesn't mean that the people of God hasn't dealt with this for all of history. We read this morning out of 1 Samuel chapter 8. It's a story of the people of Israel. They are God's chosen people. They looked around and they saw the nations around them who had kings. Looked at their palaces. They looked at their chariots and their horsemen and their armies and their treasuries that were stockpiled with wealth and the the roads at the time that were being paved in their communities. They look at the world around them and think, if only we could have what they have. And they found themselves in the midst of a trap that we've all faced from time to time. 1 Samuel chapter 8 says this. It says, finally, all the elders of Israel met at Ramah to discuss the matter with Samuel. Look, they told him, you are now old. Now, if you want to start a conflict with your wife, look, honey, you're old. If I walked into Pastor Allen's office and said, um, look, Pastor Allen, you're old, you'd have a new youth pastor. And he probably wouldn't be bald. So on the very onset of this passage, we realize that something's going on inside of their heart. They're facing a trap and a challenge. And they walk in before Samuel, who is the prophet. They say, Samuel, we have a problem with the way things are. And here's what the passage goes on to say in verse 9. It says, you are old and your sons are not like you. Give us a king to judge us like all the other nations have. Samuel, the prophet, was displeased with the request and went to the Lord for guidance, which is a great piece of advice for anybody who doesn't know what to do in the midst of a tough situation. 
He goes to the Lord for guidance, and here's what he says. Do everything the Israelites say to you, the Lord replied, because they're rejecting me, not you. They don't want me to be their king any longer. Ever since I brought them from Egypt, they have continually abandoned me and followed after other gods. And now they are giving you the same treatment. Do as they ask, but solemnly warned them about the way a king will reign over them. The story goes like this. Samuel's sons become the judges, but they're not following after the ways of Samuel. The, the Bible actually says that they perverted justice. You see, by very nature, their job was to be honest, to keep the peace, to, to rule and to judge over the land. But they were taking dishonest bribes, perverting justice. So they come to Samuel and they say, we don't want those guys. We want something better. We want what they have. We want a king. And the part of this passage that grieves the Lord the most as we read it is the very fact that not that they want a king. The problem is that they're comparing themselves to their neighbors, to what everybody else around them had. And God, in his grace-filled, compassionate heart, even when we are looking at the trap that has been uncovered by the leaves, about to step in it, says, hold on just a minute. Before you take that step, before you walk into the middle of that trap, I want to warn you, will you please listen to me? And he cries out to the people of Israel. God begs and pleads with the people of Israel, please don't go this way. Don't step in this trap. And he tells Samuel to warn the Israelites. And the next, over the next seven verses, he tells them things like this. If you get a king, the king is going to take your sons. He's going to take your daughters. He's going to take the best of your fields. He's going to take a tenth of your grain. He's going to take your male servants, your female servants, your finest young bald men, your donkeys, and he's going to put them to work, and he will take a tenth of your sheep, and you will be his servants. God warns the people, don't step in this trap. If you go down this path, it won't be for your good. And here's what the passage continues in verse 18. And it says this, when that day comes, the Lord said, you will beg for relief from this king you are demanding. But the Lord, he won't help you. But the people refused to listen to Samuel's warning. Even so, we still want a king, they said. We want to be like the nations around us. Our king will judge us and lead us into battle. So Samuel repeated to the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord replied, do as they say and give them a king. This is a profound passage that, to be honest, while not in the same battle they faced, I've felt the same tension in my own life for comparison. Because, see, here's, here's what happens. When things aren't perfect, we go looking for something else. 1 Peter 5, 8, be on your guard. Be cautious. Be watchful. Be sober-minded. That when things aren't perfect, the temptation is going to be to step into a trap of comparison that will take you on a road you don't want to go down. You see, the Israelites are looking around saying, we don't like what we got. This isn't working. These judges, they're not good. This, this isn't what we had expected. So instead of turning to the Lord, they turn their hearts outward to the things on the outside. We have to be cautious in our lives when things aren't perfect because it's a breeding ground for a trap. The second 
challenge or temptation that they felt was they were unhappy with the way things were. And when we become unhappy or unsatisfied, the challenge or the temptation can be to turn elsewhere to comparison. I don't know about you, but for me, when the world came to a screeching halt and we found ourselves in a whole set of new circumstances and situations, the challenges of staying satisfied or purpose-filled or like there is value or like you're doing something for God's kingdom, it, it requires you to take away some of the blinders and some of the muck that comes along and, and the extra things that fill our time and our space and it causes you to come face to face with reality because unsatisfied heart or an unhappiness deep within is like a smoke detector. You see, a smoke detector tells you that there's a problem in the house, that there's a fire going on. And so when we face these feelings of of unhappiness or unsatisfied and we don't know what to do sometimes, we should treat it as that smoke detector that goes off. The smoke detector itself is not a problem unless it's going off in the middle of the night at 3 a.m. and you're throwing stuff at it. But ultimately, it's it's a signal to tell you that something is wrong. When we have feelings of loneliness and unhappiness or being unsatisfied or doubt or discouragement or despair, it's like that smoke alarm on the inside that the Lord has allowed you to feel something that reminds you that there's a deeper issue. He's asking you to trust him. That in those moments, he's asking you, watch out for the trap ahead. You see, sometimes we have our feelings and our emotions and they rage and they're crazy and they're wild and we think it's the end all be all and he says, no, 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 no. This is just a warning sign. All you have to do is turn to him for help and hope and yet the people of Israel turned outward. The final thing is this, they found themselves in a situation where their priorities began to shift. And when our priorities begin to shift, we have to be on our guard. We have to be watchful because it's a breeding ground for a trap. I don't know about you, but in times when my priorities begin to look a little bit differently, it's a reminder that I have to be careful about where I look. I have to be careful about the direction that I'm headed. When we hear the story of the Israelites. Ultimately, they surrendered over to a king. And the thing that grieved God's heart the most was the fact that in order to get a king, they surrendered the position in their hearts that God was, in fact, the king that they needed. I believe this morning we can learn a few things that can help us in this season of life to avoid the trap, whether it's the trap of comparison or any other trap that you may be facing in your life. And the first thing we have to remember is this, that God always keeps his promises. He always keeps his promises. In Joshua chapter 21, verse 45, it says this. It says, Not one of the good promises which the Lord has made to the house of Israel, the people of God, failed. All came to pass. When you find yourself wrestling with whether to hold on to the promise of God or turn to the things of this world, I would encourage you to remember this this very solidifying truth that when it finds its place in your heart, reminds you in the moments when you need it the most that God never fails, that his promises always stand. You see, here's the thing about comparison. Comparison knows that it has nothing to offer. 
So it dresses itself up. It it pretends to be something on the outside that it could never be on the inside. Comparison has this way of causing you to look at the outside, blinding you to the appearance of what's really on the inside. When I was in college, I graduated from college. My grandpa took my cousins and I after we had all graduated school on a cruise. And we're on this cruise, and I remember a couple days in, this was before I met my wife, Courtney. I was single, just out of... uh, halfway through college, and uh, I, I'm walking across the cruise ship, and I meet this very pretty lady, and I realize, oh, she's about my age, she's gorgeous, wow, I, I know what I'm doing this week, and uh, I remember I didn't know who she was, I had run into her a couple of times, and one day I was walking across the deck of the ship, and she was sitting in a lawn chair and reading a book, but it wasn't just any book, it was a Christian book, and I thought, oh, thank you, Lord, You know, uh, it's time. And I remember thinking to myself, this is the perfect deal. She's attractive and she loves Jesus. I don't know her name, but she's attractive and she loves Jesus. I remember all week, like, how am I going to introduce? I was kind of shy. This is not really my thing. I don't know. And I remember going up to her uh, on one of the last days and spending some time with her and getting to know her and talk to her. And the very first words out of her mouth were beep, 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 beep. And I was like, oh no. I spent all week chasing something on the outside that wasn't true on the inside. That was a lesson I learned. Thank the Lord, four weeks later, I met a beautiful and attractive woman who did love the Lord and saved my life. (laughs) Here's what I realized comparison is a trap. It pretends to be something on the outside that it could never be on the inside. So it makes promises that it can't keep. And when you find yourself challenged by the trap of comparison, all you have to remember is that God is faithful and true to his word. And he will hold on to his promise. It doesn't matter what it looks like on the outside. Because God is doing something on the inside. The second thing we have to remember in in these traps or in these challenging times is this. God always has what we need. God always has what we need. Second Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 2, our God gives you everything that you need. Not some things, not a few things. Our God gives you everything that you need. He makes you everything you're to be. Comparison always tempts us to go after what we want instead of what we need. And the Israelites began chasing after kingdoms of this world. And God said, I got something better in store for you. Remember in the moments when you need it the most, that God has everything that you need. The final thing we learned from them this morning is this, that God is always a giver. God is always a giver. He's always good and he's always giving. James chapter one, verse 17 says, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation and no shifting shadow. Comparison always takes more than it gives because it doesn't have the strength within to fulfill the promises that it makes to you. It always takes more than it gives. In the wise theologian Mufasa from The Lion King, he uh, was telling his son Simba, they were standing on top of Pride Rock looking at all the kingdom and the territory. Simba says, Dad, I I thought a king could take whatever he wants. 
I thought a king could have any territory. And his dad looks back at him and says, son, a true king focuses more on what he can give than on what he can take. The challenge that we face today is that when we fall prey to the trap of comparison, it steals from you. It takes what God intended to give you and distorts it and perverts it and robs you of all the good things that God wants to give you. And so if I could challenge you this morning, I would ask this. I would ask that you would be aware of the traps that are set out for your life and know that you serve a God who is good, giving, faithful, strong, full of promises. And if you will trust in him and make him your king, he won't let you go. He'll hold on to you. If you're in a season of your life where you feel like you're in a lot of traps, I want to encourage you this morning that you're not alone. You see, Jesus came into our world. And when he did, he faced some of the same traps that you and I face. You see, they looked at him and they said, much like the Israelites, they looked at Jesus' life and they said, King? Really? Because they were so busy comparing him to everyone else and the kings of this world. In fact, they compared him so much so that they put him on a cross and they hung him there and they put a crown of thorns on his head labeled King of the Jews. And you see, the trap that they set out for him put him in a position to call upon the Lord. And what we find is Jesus, God, our Father in heaven, has this miraculous ability to turn the traps that are set against us to shoot down the arrows that are coming our way, as it says in Psalm 64, for your good, for your life, for your health, for your finances, and for your soul. So as Jesus hung on the cross, dying for our sins, he brought about the reality that we don't have to compare ourselves to the ways of this world because he hung on the cross, he died a death, but the trap of hell couldn't hold him. Because the grave couldn't hold him, it means that God gave him life instead of death. And he seated him at the right hand of the throne of the Father in heaven, and he became the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And if he did that for Jesus, if he can give Jesus life for death, he can do it for you. Would you bow your heads and pray with me this morning? God, I pray for any person in this room today who is experiencing the trap of death, the trap of comparison, the trap of setback, the trap of anything that's going on that's not right. And I ask, Lord, on their behalf that you would set them free this morning, that you would provide a release in their spirit and their heart and their soul, set them free from their sin, set them free from anything that is holding them back from all that you have called them to be and do. And we ask, Lord, that by the grace of Jesus, we would be set free. I want to pray right now for any person in the room. Maybe you know you're caught in a trap. Maybe you haven't said yes to Jesus or you've been away for a while because there was a deceptive trap that lured you out. There's hope for you this morning. You can come back. The best decision you could ever make is to say yes to Jesus. So would you just pray this prayer with me? Dear God, I know mankind needs a savior and I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe 
You are the son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins and that God raised you from the dead. So right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation because I said yes to you. Thanks for listening to this message. For more about The Ark, visit thearkchurch.com.